I'm Jackie Simmons. I'm the host of the show, and I'm very excited that you're here. We have a very inspiring person's lounge. We have some random gifts going on in the show. And most importantly, we have coming up on this episode, Mel Rose. And we're going to deep dive into the experience of temporary problems and why suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. How do we know this? Well, Mel's going to explain it in her own way. So without further ado, please help me welcome into the studio, Mel Rose. There you are, yay, it works, magic. How are you? Oh, I am well. Um, obviously, you've had a very exciting day. Yes, I mean, you know, it's a great, Sundays are pretty normal for me, but this is an exciting one where I get to talk to people and kind of let them know some of the things I've come upon in life that are important, which I'm very excited to share. I'm super grateful that you were able to take time out of your Sunday and be part of our conversation. Thank you for having me. So, Mel, when it comes to temporary problems and permanent solutions, how did you come to the conclusion that there was some confusion around this? Yeah, I mean, I so as somebody who has had um, several experiences with depression and not necessarily um, chemical depression where I would be predisposed for my genetic, you know, composition, I had some really tough experiences in life that really made me feel like um, I wasn't equipped with the tools to survive them. Both times I ended up getting a dog. So I've always said dogs are my Prozac. Um, they give you a reason to get up in the morning. They love you unconditionally. They are so happy when you're home. For me, um, I've never really wanted to mess with my chemicals because I'm a very sensitive person. Um, but I've had two bouts of depression in my life uh, that I really didn't think I was gonna be able to get out of. And both times, I really had, I had heard this thing repeatedly that I had heard before and it was going in my head, which was never um, apply a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And as hard as depression is, and as much as we need things to get us through them, the point is to go um, through them. You know, ah. for me, I've had a few friends who said, you know, make sure you're going through what you're going through. And um, don't mask it, don't deny it, feel it. As you get older, you appreciate the feeling because you become a little desensitized to drama, or you know, bad toxic relationships or failure. Um, it almost you just you just feel are like, oh, there's a lesson here. When it's something truly traumatizing, um, loss of a parent, loss of a loved one, um, uh, loss of a business, um, and beyond loss, um, overwhelming feelings of not feeling good enough, um, comparing yourself to too many other people. It can seem very easy to just say, I'm just going to check out. So I think the distractions that we have, you know, 
social media, um, toxic relationships, um, working too hard, uh, you know, even like just traveling too much, which we're in COVID, so people aren't doing that, but I was a victim of this in my 20s, was like, oh, I'll just move to the next place. Um, all those things are temporary solutions um, to permanent problems. But when you apply a permanent solution like suicide to a temporary problem, like not knowing who you are or the things you're not happy about, then you never get the experience of getting through what you're going through. So for wow. me, when my friends say, are you going through what you're going through? I'm like, yeah, it's hard. It sucks. You know, it's painful. They'll usher me through, you know, but if I just stay on the on the precipice of my pain and I don't accept it and get through it, I never actually survive it and I never get the lesson. So I don't know. I think when it comes to teen suicide, we have a real problem because the distractions are so strong and the toxic relationships and societal expectations of us as women or men are so above what's even comprehensible as a human being. I think that's where you're like, actually, I need to apply this pro this solution. Okay, I'm gonna pause you and I'm gonna invite you out of the concepts. Yeah. And tell us a story. Yeah. How did you learn this? What was a day in your life that helped you understand what was going on? Well, I think, um, I think my last bout was like the part where I realized I had to go through it. And so I had lost my father. I was in the middle of a highly abusive relationship, physical and emotional. And I had lost a business I had put six years of my life into because they stole my designs and sold them to another company. I had a trifecta heartbreak. I literally thought I was going to just die from a heartbreak. And um, I remember um, realizing, you know, I have hit rock bottom. But the good news is that when you find the concrete, that that's where you know how to build up, right? So part of me was like relieved. Got like, it. When, when you hit rock bottom, you got no place to go but up, as long as you're on concrete and not quicksand. Yeah, so like maybe it's further than you're supposed to go, but the reality was I knew that that was my rock, that that was the lowest I was going to ever allow myself to feel, mm -hmm. and that, that was the day I actually really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose, it's a choice, I'm going to choose to make this my concrete and build up. And it was five years, it was six years, almost seven years probably to get me to where I am now. And I've had that twice in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to mask it as depression, but the reality is it's just life, you know? It's just where life's, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Right. Wait, it's easy to put a label on it and, and there are so many people willing to put a label on it. Right. And I don't can we hide behind the label? Oh yeah. But life happens, and the question is, how do you develop the emotional resiliency to meet life on life's terms? Yeah. Well, here's the other thing is, like, I'm, my mom is 100% Italian, and I'm 50% Italian. So 
I think the most important thing in your life is understanding how you can create relationships where you have a safe space to communicate and finding relationships where you can communicate. For me, when I'm in a relationship and they do something to heat me up, I have to take two days. I know this now. I have to say two days. I'll talk to you in two days. And if they're texting me or trying to connect with me or trying to pull a reaction out of me, I will not, I do not respond. If I respond, you're in trouble because you're going to get my fire, you know? But, but I know after two days of meditating, thinking about it, then I can find and observe why I'm upset and where in my life I'm connecting that pain with. And if it's a belief system I want to subscribe to or not. Because a lot of times I find when I'm angry mm. and I sit and I observe my anger, I realize it's stemming from a place that is a belief system that I don't actually subscribe to. Ah, the unconscious BS, the stinky stuff that runs our lives that we inherited. We absorb this stuff yeah. through our skin. Yeah, and if you listen to my podcast with Chantel Chapman, she talks about the trauma of money, which is really just the trauma of your life that can be affecting your money. But the reality is you can have societal trauma, inherited trauma, um, physical trauma, emotional trauma. You can have all these different traumas. And, and so if you don't actually identify the source of your anger, which for hot-blooded people, it takes some time. We need a glass oh. of tea, then we need a margarita, then we need a glass of wine, then we need a sleep, then we need the whole next day to meditate and not do anything. Then like that actually allows us to say, oh, this is from a belief system I either subscribe to and we have to discuss, or I apologize and that anger was unwarranted and I don't want this to damage our relationship. Okay, pause. What age did you get to before you gave yourself permission to take 48 hours to process an emotional reaction? So I'm 37 right now. I would say um, I'm, I still struggle with it, but uh, 35 is when I started asking for it in my intimate relationships. It was after two. All right. I'm just going to celebrate. We're going to give you some applause. This is applause in video land. It's also sign language. This is applause. And so the reality is that the emotional skill that you had to develop to be able to make that statement, I mean, you made it as a request, probably, but it was a statement that said, you know, I'll get back to you on this in two days. We call that owning your ballpark, you know, making sure that the rules are really clear to people. Yeah. And very, very few people get to that point in the decade that you did. Mm. Okay. I mean, this is unusual and it's unique. And this is one of the reasons why I think we connected as quickly as we did. It was like, oh my God, you get this already. So maybe we can help other people in the world get that it's okay to ask for what you need. Yeah, I think, um, I think you have to ask for what you need, which sometimes um, is space to analyze your feelings mm -hmm. and understand why. I don't think people should, if somebody says to you, you're being disrespectful, 
because you're telling me things I don't want to hear or because mm. you're expressing yourself. That's called stonewalling. And they're not letting you express yourself without taking it as a personal attack, which maybe you have to say things a little bit nicer. But in my opinion, you need to learn how to tell people, I'm going to take space. And if you don't give it to me, I'm not going to respond to you. Because you need to take time to review your feelings to understand if they're your feelings or if they're the feelings of people or history or society that are telling you to feel. And right. so this is important because at some point in your life, you had to reach a space where you could accept that feelings come from different places. Right. That, that you know, and I know you, you probably don't know this, Mel. What? Very few people know how to do this. So can we break it down and not assume that everybody knows what you know? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So if you were going to coach someone, if you were going to help someone go from, it's all their fault, they make me feel this way, to a place where it's, oh, I feel this way because I believe something, or do I? Maybe that my dad believed that, or my mom believed that, or, but do I believe that? I mean, the difference between those two states of mind is significant. Totally. Yeah. So what's one step someone can take to get from over here where it's all their fault to over here where, oh, I wonder where that came from? Yeah. Okay. So I strongly recommend that you get into a practice of meditation. And when I say that, everyone's like, what is that? I don't know what that means. I'm an analytical science. I'm a female, but I love science. And I generally don't, don't act on things unless there's proof of them um, or some validation or some analytical reasoning. So the reason I started meditating was that I saw a scientific um, uh, study that showed the picture of the brain before you meditate and after you meditate. Before you meditate, your whole brain is lit up. There's red, green, yellow, like the frontal cortex is yeah. all, everything. My life. <laughs> You've only been awake for 10 minutes your brain is that turned on. You have that many parts of your brain thinking, I've got to work out, I've got to you know, satisfy this thing, I've got to like, respond to that. Okay, so when you meditate, you're not actually trying to think about anything. You're, the picture of your brain after you meditate is your whole brain and it's black, think about dark matter, it's totally black, infinite possibilities, and only the frontal pre- cortex I think is lit up very small amount I mean probably a, a hundredth of your brain and so when you see that it allows you to understand why it's so important and why people like Steve Jobs and other highly influential people on our daily lives were able to achieve what they could achieve is because they stopped thinking about all the narratives that weren't even theirs they brought themselves right to where they own their brain and then they go back in and they start influencing the parts of their brain that they want to create activity. And that is why we meditate. So when we are able, the first meditation I ever did was something that basically allowed me to sit down and look at my emotions. Okay, I'm angry. And as you watch the emotions as like walk in front of your house, you know, and then there's a- I like that. So then you let the emotion turn and walk and there's a bridge and then they all of a sudden walk 
and they walk over the bridge and they walk away. And as you watch them walk and leave you, you think about that emotion and why you have that emotion, but you don't hold on to it for too long. And then you have something that's like positive. So I'm, I feel very elated. You know, I met a beautiful person. So who's got an amazing like show and I'm really excited about her. But you also don't attach yourself to the positive emotions either. You just observe them and you let them go. So as you watch your emotions, there could be a hundred emotions. You observe them and you allow them to leave. But what you're doing here is you're going through your emotions and you're allowing yourself to disassociate. And when you disassociate from your emotions, you're allowing yourself to actually create your own experience. And you decide what you want to feel and you decide how you want to proceed and you decide the things that you're going to go through life. And maybe you become one of these people who's very calm and observant, but that is okay. You know, maybe you're still very passionate about things. I'm still very passionate about things, even though I do this every day. So yeah, it's I not about having a passionless existence. Trust me not but the thing is like i don't feel guilty as a woman as an italian as a human being as an american in how i feel what i feel guilty about is when i get pressured into expressing myself before i know what the emotion means who right. I am. okay so the tell me about i feel guilty when i get pressured into expressing before i know what the emotion means I'm allowing someone else to control me all right so it's all right, so I feel guilty when I think I've allowed someone else to control me. Right, and like, so that's what we do in society all the time. Like, we oh, are yeah. we're a victim of our phones, of the television, of um, societal constructs. You know, I'm 37, not married with no kids. There's all this pressure, you know? And yet, when I don't subscribe to those things, I'm so much happier in my existence and I'm not even aiming for happiness. I'm just aiming for getting through what I'm going through and creating um, a betterness for people and, and finding out what my purpose is. Instead of oh. about everything that's happening, like we all need to figure out what our purpose in life is. All right, we're gonna have to tangle. We're gonna argue. All right, okay. here we go. Bring it on. Come on, take the gloves off. Because here's what my experience was. Okay. A year ago, this month, I was not looking for my purpose. I didn't go seeking a purpose in my life. I was busy. And I was busy in the way only an entrepreneur can be busy. And anybody who's listening to this who's an entrepreneur, yeah, we get being busy, right? I mean, if we're not making phone calls, we're working on our website. If we're not working on our website, we're working on a strategy. God willing, we have time to work on strategy. If we're not working on strategy, we're working. I mean, we're busy. So I was busy. And in the middle of my own three-day event, with no warning whatsoever, my purpose came and tapped me on my shoulder. Aww. And it was when my daughter very publicly broke the silence on something that was very private that I thought needed to stay private. And she started a seven minute talk that she was going to have transcribed to be an inspirational story and a little book of stories for teens. 
And she started with the statistic of 3,000 a day, which was the number of teens who attempt to take their own lives every day in the US. And while I was at first super proud that she started with a startling statistic, it's a great way to start a seven minute talk. When it registered in my brain, I was like, huh? I had no idea the number was that large. And then she said when I was 14 and she started publicly sharing about her own multiple suicide attempts as a teenager. I'd lived through them, but we hadn't talked about them in over 20 years. Because why would we? Why would I bring up something so painful? You know, you let the past be the past. This was the belief system that I had and that she had. And as bad as that was for me in the back of the room, because by then I'd gone pretty pale, her next sentence was that she still struggled with suicidal thoughts. And my brain was, I had no idea. I mean, you know, how did I miss this again? And when she ended her talk with wanting to create a program for teens to help them find joy every day to learn the coping skills that she's learned before they need them. It was in that moment that my purpose tapped me on my shoulder. I didn't know it then. I mean, I created a lot of ways to stay busy. But the reality was a few months later, it was really clear that my mission in life is now to bring this into the world and to help people learn these skills before they need them so that they never stand on the ledge, what you call creating a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yeah. You know, it's about keeping them away from the ledge. So sometimes I'm wondering what the heck had to happen in the universe that these things coincided that my purpose tapped me on my shoulder. And mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with you that having a purpose-driven life, having a mission, what I call a mission-driven life matters. And I think you allow you that. Yeah, I think you can allow your, uh, your mission, passion and your, your, you know, your, your mission, your mission can change, you know, that's one thing, is that uh -huh. I think as, as Americans specifically, we just think we're going to get through college, we're going to get married, and we're just going to stay the same for the rest of our lives. Well, like the reality is the only thing, not even taxes and death, because I don't necessarily believe in either of them. You can live on an island and not pay taxes, and if you believe that your spirit is infinite, you live forever. So even those things aren't forever. But the one thing that is forever is change. Um, and, and that's the only thing that's forever. And that's for sure. And so we are so change adverse. But I think that we, our purpose can change. We should be changing. It's not, we're not supposed to say the same thing. Your daughter had a ton of courage to say that in front of you. Oh um, my God. Yeah. Not just in front of me, but in front of a bunch of other people at this event. But if you think about it, it's like she was really telling you, you know, that story. That was, if you, she knew that you had never heard that before and she said it right there, it didn't matter if there were 10,000 people listening, that story is really for your mother. 
when you tell your mother that this is what happened and where you're still at, it's a, I don't care if you're the only two people in the room or there's a million people there, you're essentially finding a way to tell your mom something that you need to say. And so because that affected you in a profound way and became your life's mission, um, I think your daughter and you have such an amazing and incredible connection because she was willing to do it in a way that it um, affected you profoundly and she figured out the way to do it so that it would do that. Whereas a lot of other kids would try to tell you in this way or that way. Oh. And yeah, and she tried to tell me a bunch of other ways, Mel. Okay. It was only in hindsight that we that I figured that out. So yeah, hindsight is something that people often try five or six times before they succeed. And so when it comes to being a teen right now, we have to understand this is a really hard time to be a teenager. I can totally relate to teens. I was highly bullied. Um, I if I had been in um, today's public education system, I'm not sure I would have survived. I The fact that I could go home and, and not have to be connected to those people was very good for me. You know, I had volatility at school and volatility at home when I was in middle school and high school. So I never really escaped it. So I think even in your virtual life now, to not be able to escape it is very scary. Um, so I think we have to come up with alternative ways to provide safe space for kids to exist and to not be numbed out by the pain that they're feeling, to learn how to process it and how to come out the other side stronger and with a mission and with a purpose. Well, I absolutely agree. And so let's figure out a couple of strategies for people to be able to move towards purpose and move towards mission consciously, because there are so many wrongs to be righted. I mean, there are so many possible missions in the world and mine is very personal. What's your mission in the world, Mel? So I know that my mission, my purpose is to empower people to make the planet better. And that's why I do what I do professionally because I felt very disempowered by not being able to get my company funded. When I had my own startup, I found it very difficult to get capital. I didn't understand money. Now I basically teach financial literacy. I help people understand their financial options. I work with one of the best firms in the country for this. You know, we have a ton of resources for people. And so I feel like my, and I also have a podcast and I have a women's group and I do, you know, I live this in everything that I do. And that's how I know it's my purpose. So your purpose isn't what you do to make money. Your purpose is what you do, no matter you're making money or you're not making money. If what you're doing when you make money and when you don't make money is the same, that's what your purpose is. So maybe maybe you're an artist. Maybe you're maybe you're meant to um, make people laugh. Maybe you're meant to feel um, just express art to people. I don't know, create emotion. Um, but it's what you would do to make money. But what you're also going to do, even if you don't make money, to do that thing. Um, and so I always give people three practical tips. This is what's in my book it, um, that I'm finishing up now, which is I strongly recommend that teenagers have three pursuits and they can change over time. 
but your first pursuit should be a way to express the things that have happened to you, a way to express your pain. For me, it's always been painting, drawing, photography, something very artistic, but it could be dancing. It could be boxing. It could be, I don't know, doing cartwheels in the sand, doing flips, like painting people's faces. I don't know. Express yourself somehow through the pain that you felt so that you're not putting it on other people. That's called your passion. I think the second thing is something that you should do is called exploring your curiosity. And this is what you should do to actually try to make money. You should develop an intellectual pursuit on what you are curious about. So maybe you're curious about marine biology from a, um, an, an environmental engineering standpoint. Maybe you're curious, all those things are accessible to you. You're smarter than you think you are. Whatever you can basically get on Google and just look up for 15 hours and get lost in a black hole on Google, that's what you wanna basically grow. That's your curiosity. And then the last thing is your movement. So every day you need to get up and do something for your body, for your temple. Wow. For me, it's yoga. I love yoga. It's a physical challenge. I can grow through it every day. Some people it's soccer. Some people it's running. Some people it's Tai Chi. Some people it might be um, dancing, whatever. A lot of women don't realize how powerful dancing is. Just turn on the music and dance every day. And that can actually save your life to have these three things. This is my, this is what I'm here to teach people. Passion, curiosity, and movement will save your life. Just give yourself to those three things. If you want to change them, change them, let them change you, but decide and, and really go after them. If you do that as a teenager, as a young adult or someone in your thirties, you're really going to be grateful that you've, that you've become an expert. You need 10,000 hours to be an expert. If you start at 15 and by the time you're 25, you can have 10,000 10, hours in those things and you can solicit yourself as an expert in those industries. And that's three things that can actually provide income for you. So, you know, it's me, really interesting yeah. that I'm going to ask you to just, you know, help me unpack this concept of passion as a way of expressing pain. Yeah, so I came from a very volatile family. And well, half Italian. Okay, what's the other half? My dad was British, um, but he was a playboy, basically. So he um, left us for his mistress and cheated on her with another woman. So I have a half sister. I mean, it was very, he was a good dad for like, you know, he was a good husband and a good dad for quite a, for about 20 years. But when he left, it was a very volatile situation. And when he left, I was only 15 and it hurt, you know, to lose my dad at 15. My mom was very upset about it. I had, I was always very artistic, but I had no way to express it until he, I, so I was always very artistic, but after my dad died and I didn't really ever get that relationship with him that I was always looking for. I ended up doing like 15 giant paintings of like crying girls. And like one said, I'll call you on an eye patch, which he would always say, and then he never would do. One said this, one said that. But after I completed the series, I felt very, this is what my therapist told me. If, you're, if you create something to express your pain, 
then the thing that you created was the reason for the pain and you no longer have to carry the pain. So maybe it's a painting series, maybe it's a book, maybe it's a screenplay, but when you go through trauma mm. and you express it through something else, it can serve another, another path. The other thing is ACEs. I'm not sure if you've talked about this on your show yet, but adverse childhood experiences are really important for people to understand. If you're under 18 and you've had one of these 10 experiences happen to you, it's really important to understand them because they can manifest in physical ways. Obesity, addiction, um, depression, suicide. They manifest in all these different ways when you've had abandonment, incarceration, divorce, abuse. So those things as a child manifest as physical representations. For me, I think a way to avoid that is to express it, you know, and to put it on paper or to put it on music, just express it, just get it out of you. You don't have to carry your parents, you know, crap with you. It's not your stuff to carry, but a lot of us children as the product of divorce and separation and abuse are carrying that around with us. Mm -hmm. It's important to know your ACEs score and not let it control your future. If you're a teenager and you're listening to this, you got to know what your ACEs score is. And if you're under 18 and you're still having that and you are living in a toxic situation, it's okay to ask an aunt and uncle to live with them. It's okay to ask to remove yourself from a toxic living situation. You don't have to live like that. That's an important piece because we get pushback from people that, are, that feel totally like they have no choice. And so you're going, it's okay to ask someone else for help, to ask to live somewhere else. Giving people that permission, giving ourselves that permission, Mel, that is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I think my whole ethos is stop like thinking small. Like, let's just think we're, everyone is operating at 10% of their brain function. So if you think you're stuck, then that means that you have only explored the 10% that's obvious or maybe the 15% that's on the surface. If you generally feel stuck in life, you have got to take that 85% and figure out that magic space. That's the good stuff. That's where the magic happens. And that's where companies become created I mean, there was this interesting thing I listened to the other day. This guy asked this young girl, she was 12, what do you want to be right now? And so she said, I want to be, I want to have a company. And what do you, the guy said, what do you want to do it? And, and, sh and she told him and she talked it out. And by 14, she had a very successful business that was running her whole family. And it's like, if we just start asking kids different questions, I think that we start getting different responses. And I think we're talking to 15, 16, 17 year olds like they're kids, and they've actually been through very real adult problems, but we're not teaching them how to have that 80, 90% expansive, creative solution technique. Oh. Okay, you're right. We, we do talk to our children as if they're children. And Mel, that stopped for me when I went into a local high school with the Make It a Great Day, The Choice is Yours project, our first attempt to launch this. And they went around the room 
and they told me the stories of the people they knew who had tried or died. Their friends who had tried or died. These are kids. We're treating them as kids. And when I left, I just bawled in my car because it wasn't most of the kids in the room. It was every single kid in the room had a story of a friend who had tried or died. They're not dealing with kids stuff. They're dealing with adult loss. I mean, think about little kids, right? Like when you meet a little kid, three or four or five, they're very aware and awake and alive. You know, I used to think, you know, kids are kids until they're 18. As my friends have started, had, started having kids, I'm like, these four or five, three, four, two, three, four or five year olds are very present. You know, and we're having things happen to us as children and we're told by adults to not talk about them and to not, not accept that they hurt us. Mm. And then we have to go through our lives, you know, managing that abuse. So in my perspective is by the time you're 14, 15, 16, you're full on dealing with adult issues. And it's really important to have a secure friend group. You know, my sister's college roommate, when she was 18, tried to hang herself. I've lost four or five people from the high school I went to from suicide. Uh, you know, one of my cousins, it was deemed a suicide, even though my family thinks it was a murder. But, you know, I've got five or six in my very close sphere. Okay. And, oh, it's such a crazy conversation, Mel, because physiologically, the prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop physically until we're 12 and doesn't fully develop as far as the neuro connections until we're 24, if we're lucky. Yep, yep. And, and, and so on the one hand, they are dealing with adult issues of loss. And on the other hand, they do not have the reasoning capacity. They don't have a pause button. But what is very important, what you just said, is that they can this is very important that they have one person in their life mm. who is actually the voice of reason. And if they don't have that person, I strongly recommend for them to name their higher intuition a name and listen to it because you know what is right and what is wrong. And you know what your intuition is saying is going to serve you and what is not. And so if you don't have one person in your life who's gonna be a higher voice of reasoning, who's gonna be compassionate and loving to you, you have to create it for yourself because it matters that by the time you're 24, that you've had love and compassion in your decision-making skills be a major force in your life. And that's the problem is that we're creating communities where people's own parents who are still coming off as loving are not able to be the voice of reason for children who have been through trauma. No, because if they have experienced trauma, their emotional growth was arrested. They're, so they're, we can't do, we can't teach what we don't know. Yeah, and it's like, you know, when do parents start realizing that the kids hurt more than them? You know, it's not just about you. Your kids are hurting. Put your pain aside and understand that your kids need to learn um, that it's going to be okay and how to deal with it. But the parents don't even have the tools. And that's the problem. And well, you hit the nail on the head. That's why when we looked at what the problem was, what we launched first was the adult self-advocacy program. Because we realized if we could get the adults to become better advocates for themselves, 
the kids would start absorbing it through their skin, which is the same way they absorbed every other BS, all of the other belief systems. Right. And the parents would then have a very different experience of life. So absolutely, anyone. Yeah. Sorry, I also think that, um, you know, it's funny because a lot of people think that it's like this upper class um, person who's not having a lot of these problems. When you look at the statistics and the societies, it's like, oh, you know, people in the upper class, they don't have like as many issues. But mm. the reality is the entire society across the board has major issues. You want to do some myth busting together? Yeah, we can definitely myth bust. But okay, so the, the high school with the highest suicide rate. I'm, I mean, I definitely would say private, but I'm going to let you say it. Silicon Valley. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to think to like analyze what that is, but I will say like in my own parents' divorce, I heard my mom saying, I want more time. And my dad saying, I need to make more money. So that breaks down a human uh, intimate relationship very quickly. And then both people deal with that by workaholic and either alcoholic or, you know, whatever their vices are. And then all of a sudden you're just like, I'm just sitting here like I'm a kid and I just want my parents to be happy, you know? Oh, we've had so many discussions about that on this session of the Suicide Prevention Show and on previous episodes because parents don't get it and, we, and they check out on their kids and I'll say we check out on our kids and it's because we don't have the emotional resiliency tools to handle what's going on in our lives. And it is a generational thing. And that's why this conversation between the two of us is so important because maybe we can wake up one person now. Well, I also think you guys need to understand who are watching this, that like there's programs in place for you to find. You can, you guys can always find me. I'll mentor a hundred people at a time. I probably have 10 or 15 that I talk to regularly now. I do big sister. Um, I'm always available to young men and women um, to, to reach out to because I've been in that position where I had to make something of myself um, outside of the compassion that I would have liked from a parent through a traumatic divorce, you know? And so I'm really compassionate to young people who have a drive to succeed. Um, and I always try to encourage them to find out like, what is their, what's their true passion versus what is their prescribed passion? Oh, there you go. Now you're talking something really critical. Yeah. Prescribed passion. Especially those high achieving parents, they're prescribing you the life that they didn't get, you know? My grandma wanted to be a seamstress. My mom wanted to be a business owner, you know, but I don't know. Maybe I want to be, just be a singer. Maybe I want to be a nomad. Maybe I want to design golf courses. I don't know. But like, don't push your dreams on me. Mm -hmm. And, and um, but you get a prescribed um, mission in life and it can really deter you from your, your true mission in life. So it's important for you to reach out and find somebody who's going to just let you tell them what you want instead of having a like a 
like a motive. And you just find that person. It could be a teacher. It could be the chick at Starbucks who gives you your like kid friendly mocha frappiato. It could be, you know. I'm, I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to say you yeah. gave an amazing gift to everyone who's on the show, to everyone who's listening to the podcast, to everyone who's seeing it on YouTube. It's going to be in all the show notes. It's a 30 minute conversation with you at melrosemoney.com. Yeah, I mean, so who would be the best person to take advantage of that? Because you've been talking about the 16 year old. And my question is, is it the 16 year old? Or is it the person who is going to Yeah, I mean, what's the right age? I literally have like diabolical of aversion talks with four year olds in my friends kids, all the way up to 35 year olds. There we go. 70 year olds who like wanna understand financial literacy and like why they should be asking their husbands what is in their will. You know, like I talk to every type of human being. Um, my podcast is I'm interviewing 50 women, then I'm interviewing 50 men, then I'm interviewing maybe 25 to 50 kids um, about career. So I love all people. I, I honestly want anybody who's even thinking about messaging me to just message me, you know, like I, it's not like you have to be this target person. Just reach out. If you need, if you feel like you need to reach out to somebody, just reach out. I don't, it's, I don't care what age you are, what sex you are, what, like, what you're missing. I get that. I was just checking because I suspected that about you, but I hate to assume anything. I mean, we know what that word can mean. Five-year-olds who are 400-year-old, like Japanese empresses from the, from like a hundred years ago, 500 years ago. And I've met like 45-year-old men who are literally five-year-old boys. You know, I've met everything in the middle. So like, I, I just think if you feel the call to action to reach out to somebody that you're listening to, um, just reach out to them. The worst thing that's going to happen is that they don't answer. The best thing that's going to happen is that they're going to inspire you. Mm -hmm. I Absolutely. People all the time who don't respond to me, by the way, everybody should know this. I reach out to tons of people that don't respond. But you know, it, and that's true because you reached out to me on a social media channel. Totally. Yeah. And it just, I felt called to respond. Now I've been able to interview you on this show and we're going to keep moving together because you have a perspective of a different generation. And I have a perspective of a different generation. And the reality is the world needs multiple perspectives because no one is a hundred percent right. And no one is a hundred percent wrong. And so go with where you resonate. And I posted in the chat, so it'll go in the show notes, your list about a passion, a way to express emotional pain and curiosity, to explore your curiosity as a profession. What would it be like if what we were curious about is what we got paid to do? And then to move, that physical movement is really powerful. It's so important to move your body every day that your neurons in your brain when you do physical activity for more than 30 minutes, the neurons in your brain sprout exponentially, which means you how many ways that they, so when you work out 30 to 45 minutes to an hour a day, you're going to be smarter. You're going to feel better. It's the most important thing you can do. 
And all of you know this, if you don't work out, you don't feel good. Right? All right. So for everyone who is, I'm, I'm 61, you are 37. All right. So from generation to generation, the reality is we all know this and then we forget it. And then the next generation thinks they discovered it. And I get that because we thought we discovered it when our parents knew it. And they were knowing it and doing it. So here's the deal. Reach out to someone who's going to hold you accountable. Reach out to someone who's going to partner with you to help you put into place some practices that are going to help you grow your brain. The idea that your brain has to shrink over time is just a myth. Let's bust it. Not true. Yeah, there we go. All right, Mel. Mwah. Yes. Thank you. And from my heart, thank you. Thank you. And I'm here for anybody. Do not apply a temporary solution. You know, don't apply a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Life is not, it, you will get through it. Just go through. There we go. There was a song about that. You know, when you're going through hell, keep on moving. Don't look back. If you're scared, don't show it. Yeah, it was a great song. You might get out before the devil even knows you're there. Just keep going. It just, you got to go through it. Don't, don't, don't do something like that. Also, be my friend. I'm worth living for. Oh, there you go. Be my friend. I'm worth living for. Mwah. What a great thing. Thank you, Mel.